So Money Episode 166, Ryder Kessler. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to So Money. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. So a question for you. Do you ever leave a tip when you go to your local coffee shop? Do you always leave a tip sometimes? You know, I do this maybe once a week, depending on how often I've frequented the coffee shop. It also depends on my mood. <laughs> um, I'll drop a dollar in the jar, maybe a little bit more uh, if my order is particularly complicated and say there's like a really long line and the staff's being really cheerful and doing a good job of getting everybody ushered through the line. So it's not a daily habit or even a regular habit. And it used to be that when we were paying with cash for most of these day-to-day expenditures, that tipping was easier, right? We would just drop that dollar in or drop whatever change we got into the jar. But now as everything's gone electronic, largely, you know, paying with your uh, Apple Pay, uh, with your iPhone, with your credit card. And so tipping has become less and less of a habit or of a likelihood. And so our guest today actually has come up with a solution. His name is Ryder Kessler, and he came up with a business idea while online at his local coffee shop watching people skip the cash tip jar at the counter. He saw a need in the marketplace to help those who rely on cash tips to bolster their income, and he created a product called Dip Jar. His name is Ryder Kessler, as I mentioned, and I first met him a month ago as I was moderating the annual Financial Solutions Lab or FinLab competition where there were about a dozen fintech startups competing to win one of several awards to receive direct and indirect support from the Center for Financial Services Innovation and J.P. Morgan Chase. And uh, as a member of FinLab, you get to test and expand um, your product and services to consumers. Now, Ryder presented, and he, I thought, gave a really compelling presentation. I thought, wow, imagine if you're at Starbucks online and you're paying with your debit card or your credit card or your phone – It's not that easy to leave a cash tip, especially if you don't have any cash in your wallet, right? So what if you could dip your credit card and leave a tip for the barista? Now, Ryder has an interesting background. He worked at two startups before temporarily leaving the tech world to pursue a PhD in English literature. The one constant in his life has been the coffee shops he frequents, where his baristas are a surrogate family, he says. He had the idea for Dip Jar after talking to these baristas about how their customers shifted from paying with cash to credit. And before Dip Jar, he worked at a cab-sharing startup called Bandwagon. He also studied at Harvard, and he has a master's in English literature from Columbia. So dip jar, it's a tip jar for credit cards. It's basically what it is. It's a physical device that sits next to the cash tip jar and allows tips with a one-step dip of the credit card. I like that. Now, we're going to learn a lot about Ryder's business idea, further about his business idea, and also his personal perspectives on money. For example, he grew up in New York City which I always find fascinating. I love meeting people who were born and raised in the Big Apple. I mean, I've just been living here for my adult life and it's been 
quite the reality or non-reality in some ways. I feel like we live in a bubble here in New York City. So what was it like growing up in New York? How did that shape his views on money? The concept of cashless generosity, can it work? And how Ryder's bad money behaviors, oh yes, impact his life. He's got plenty of bad behaviors. I ask him about what are some good behaviors he gives me bad behaviors. That's how honest he is. Here we go. Three, two, one, Ryder Kessler. Ryder Kessler, welcome to So Money. Very excited to have a fintech entrepreneur on the show. Welcome. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. I remember I was in the room when you were sharing your story about how Dip Jar was born. And what I guess what happened was you noticed that the baristas at your favorite coffee shop in your college town weren't receiving as many tips, largely because people were paying with their credit cards, right? They didn't have cash in their wallets. And so what I'm curious, though, when I heard your story, and now that I have you on the show, I have the opportunity to ask you. Sure. It's one thing to recognize a problem in the marketplace. It's another to say, you know what, I'm going to go and invent something to help solve this problem. What made you confident that you could create a solution? You have a PhD in English literature, not exactly the resume you would expect of someone who would go on to invent a piece of technology. So take us to that moment. What made you feel have the confidence to really make this a reality? Sure. Um, and I do have to make a small correction. I don't have the PhD quite yet. Um, I did four years towards it, but I, w- I never finished my dissertation. So I, I don't want to claim the doctorate uh, prematurely. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was. I'll have to go back to my fact-checking department and uh, slap some wrists. <laughs> no, it's all right. I, know, I think Columbia University would be upset if I claimed I'd, I'd gotten the degree. Um, so, yeah. It's uh, a really great question. I'll just fill in a bit more context about, you know, that moment. It was back in October 2008 um, after I'd graduated from college and I was back in town. And, yeah, I I had this experience where I was waiting on a very long line to order coffee at at one of my favorite places. And, and yeah, when I finally got up to order, I said to the barista, just how's it going? Nice to see you. And she made a point that because the store was so busy, she was very unhappy and overwhelmed. And my immediate thought was, well, you must at least have a financial upside to a busy store. You must have more tips. Uh, And she said, no, I used to get four to five dollars in cash tips every hour. Uh, but that was back when people paid with cash and now they pay with credit cards and, and you know, I, I get maybe 50 cents, but I'd rather the store be empty. Um, and that experience really crystallized for me that, you know, hardworking service employees were losing out on uh, real wages because of this shift from cash to plastic and that that was probably going to hurt the store. And it certainly hurt me as a consumer who wanted to tip but couldn't uh, since I was paying with my credit card every day. And I thought in that moment, oh, you know what would be cool if there were a tip jar for credit cards uh, where I could just dip my card to leave a dollar in the same way you drop a dollar bill in a cash jar. But, you know, in the telling of the story, it's very easy to imagine then, you know, going out and, and building something. But actually, it was just an idea for many years. Um, I then went on to work at a couple of startups. And so I saw over the course of, of a few years how products really get built, um, how sometimes they don't end up getting built, how companies raise money, how sometimes companies end up not being able to raise money. Uh, and so, you know, I felt much more prepared after having those experiences to go out and do this. 
Um, and yeah, as you said, I did uh, a bunch of work towards a PhD in English, which was a, a, another thing I really love, but totally unrelated. Uh, and then I just kept going to coffee shops and seeing that this still didn't exist. And, and these people were still hurting and charities that collect cash donations were still missing out. Uh, and I still, as a credit card payer and user, was you know being deprived of the opportunity to be generous in all of these settings. So finally, I said to myself, okay, I just have to do this. Um, I, having worked at startups, I knew that I could kind of take the reins of a, of creating a company. Um, if I had known exactly how difficult making a piece of hardware would be, if I had known exactly how difficult, um, getting into the payment space and especially trying to process microtransactions would be, I might, uh, I might not have done it. Frankly, I think I, I'm glad that I was uh, a little bit blind to how big the challenges were. So I just had to take it one day at a time and make a prototype and start testing and getting feedback and working to, you know, keep making it and raise money and build a team. Uh, and now it's, it's really um, edifying to see how much we've accomplished, but you know, at every moment it was just about uh, getting one step further in the process. And, you know, because I have a background in literature, I'll, I'll quote E.L. Doctorow or I'll paraphrase him. Uh, he said something about, you know, writing a novel is like driving at night you don't see the end point, but, you know, with your headlights, you can see a little bit in front of you at every step uh, mm -hmm. and eventually you'll make your way home. And I think it's it's a little bit like that. You just tackle one challenge at a time and eventually you'll get where you want it to go. Technology changes every day, Ryder. I mean, to the yeah. point now where people are paying for their coffee with their phones. I mean, Starbucks has made it mm. so that you can just use your iPhone to pay. So uh, credit cards might not be around in the future, at least not as much as they are today. Does that threaten something like like dip jar? Um, that's a really that's a really great question, and I think you know I think about it in two ways. Um, one is that we talk a lot about kind of alternative payments methods, and certainly Apple Pay gets a lot of attention, and, and NFC payments more broadly, you know, NFC meaning near-field communication and basically tap payment, uh, of which Apple Pay is, is a part. But, you know, actually outside of the tech bubble out, you know, in, in the real world, um, I don't think it really is picking up as much steam as, as you know, the tech blogs would have us think. There's really interesting recent um, uh, data about Apple Pay adoption. And, you know, after six months of iPhone 6, uh, you know, phones sitting in people's pockets, uh, only about 15 percent of iPhone 6 users had tried Apple Pay. So 85 percent uh, had not used it even once. They didn't really feel compelled uh, to to tether their cards to their phones and, and find a terminal that would accept it. Um, you know, and this isn't eighty five percent of the population. It's not even eighty five percent of smartphone owners. It's eighty five percent of what is you know clearly a, a group of early adopters, and uh, even they are kind of hard pressed to find a reason to to switch over. Um, you know, I think a lot of people are trying to solve the problem of credit cards, but credit cards really aren't broken. They work remarkably well. You pull them out of your pocket, <laughs> you swipe, uh, and you're done. And so, you know, it's it's there really has to be a true uh, value add before people are going to switch to something a bit more arduous or, or complicated. Um, Seventy percent of point of sale transactions now happen with magnetic stripes, uh, and you know. NFC payments don't even register. They're far less than 1%. Um, so, you know, that's part of my thinking that really 
Dipjar wants to enable cashless generosity today, uh, and we want to let people with these cards in their pockets, which are you know pretty much everyone, uh, leave a tip at a coffee shop or you know at a valet or give a donation to their favorite charity or you know give money to their church collection plate or synagogue sadaka box with their credit mm. card. Um, but the other way I think about it is that. You know, Dipjar isn't just about credit cards. Dipjar is about cashless generosity. And so, you know, we want to follow the payment trends. If people do start paying with their phones uh, or, you know, alternative payment methods, Dipjar is perfectly um, enabled to add that technology to our hardware. And, you know, it'll be the same experience where we handle the processing and payout to the recipients and still provide a really compelling value to them. Um, so, you know, we think about that in a bit longer term view. But today, uh, credit cards are really where it's at. How's the rollout been? Are you in, in how, like, where can we find Dipjar? Is it, has it been a pretty easy sell to the merchants? Yeah, so um, it's been an easy sell, but it um, insofar as, you know, people want it, it's a harder sell in being able to actually provide the product. So, you know, when we first started, it was a couple of years ago, uh, I, you know, put together a few people and we made a prototype version of the product. Uh, we started by rolling out 10 first generation dip jars and eventually, you know, we were able to go up to 20 on the little scant resources we had. Um, and we only had to make one real sale. We sat down with the director of operations at a coffee chain here in New York and, um, showed him what the device was. And he said, Oh my God, this makes so much sense. I used to be a barista. Uh, I remember when I used to love coming to work because I, the, the cash tip jar would be full now that doesn't happen anymore. And we really have a morale problem. Uh, so yeah, we'll take it. And so that was great. That was our first, um, sale. And then once the dip jar was out in the world, all of the demand was inbound. People saw it. They told their friends, there was some nice press about us. And we started just getting a flood of, emails saying, when can I get one uh, for my coffee shop, for my dog groomer, for my uh, sorority, for my museum. And our challenge was really about actually being able to build a scalable version of the product. Um, so for a long time, you know, this was when I was still in my PhD. So Diptar was kind of a, a side project. Um, I was trying to raise money and fits and starts and thinking about how I was going to actually build a piece of hardware that could be deployed nationally. Um, and that was really challenging because who was going to put money behind, uh, you know, part-time entrepreneur, PhD student in the humanities. Um, and so it was, it was really a challenge, but I would get those emails and I would know that this was something that needed to be built. Um, and I would walk into those cafes where dip jars were and, and hear the baristas say, you know, I'm so glad you're here. My last dip jar payment covered my electric bill this month. Uh, and so, you know, with feedback like that, I knew we had to press forward. So um, without getting into too much granularity, over the last year, you know, we finally were able to raise some money. Uh, I left my PhD to do this full time, built a team that's now six people with some great hardware and software engineers. And we actually are assembling right now our 500, uh, first 500 second generation dip jars. And those are going out in just a few weeks. Uh, so right now you can still see the first gen dip jars at a few places around New York, but soon you'll be able to see them all over the country and it'll be a much better product. So we're really, really excited for that launch. Very excited. And and just to be clear, can you designate your own tip or is it like pre-assumed predetermined tip or you can just say I want to put a dollar or two dollars yeah so mm -hmm. 
often people can't really visualize what a tip jar for credit cards is until I kind of show them a picture uh, or they see it in person. So it's it's a great question because it is hard to, to see. And when I had the idea for the dip jar, I thought, you know, it'll have a few buttons on it. It'll be, it'll be like a jar, but at the top, instead of an opening for cash, it'll be a slot to put your card into and, and then pull out. Um, but maybe it'll have a few buttons like 50 cents, a dollar and two dollars. Um, but thankfully, um, one of the first people I talked to about the idea was my older brother. And I'm very, very lucky. He is an economics professor at Wharton. Uh, he's a behavioral economist and he happens to study generosity. So I really huh. stuck, you know, uh, one of the fraternal lottery. Um, in my household was, you know, one of the world experts on uh, what economists and behavioral psychologists know about generosity. And he said, listen, the biggest barrier to generosity is decision making friction. If people have a keypad in front of them and, and you're asking them to decide and in the moment when they're in a busy store and they've ordered their coffee and, you know, what is the optimal amount to tip right now? Is 50 cents too little? Is two dollars too much? They will most likely just, you know, freak out and walk away. But if you give them a really clear norm and say, look, in this coffee shop, a dollar is the right amount to tip. Um, you just set the jar to a dollar and have that be what the person sees. And then all they have to do is choose whether or not to dip. Um, of <laughs> course, if they get, go every morning and just get a two dollar, you know, coffee, they might not dip every day, but that's fine. Uh, and if they, you know, get a big order and and they want to tip three dollars, they'll dip three times. And and we have seen that in our pilot test. So we keep it really simple by having the units always preset. Um, a quick extension of, of that point, though, is that our our customers, so like the coffee shop or the charity, um, said to us very early on, you know, it would be great if we could change the amount kind of uh, if we see that everyone's double dipping and, and we think $2 makes more sense than one, uh, it would be cool if the jar had, had the ability to be adjusted. So now the dollar amount is displayed on an LED screen, which our customers can update at any time just by logging into the Dipjar website with their, you know, administrative credentials and they can select edit and change $1 to two uh, and the jar will live update. So from the giver's perspective, it's always going to be preset, but our customers uh, have the ability to um, adapt the jars preset uh, amount to their use case. Perfect. Uh, who's your brother at Wharton? We should have him on the show. <laughs> You totally should. His name is Judd Kessler. Uh, he's awesome. I think uh, I can say he's one of the world foremost experts in generosity. I think he would be uh, would not be willing to make that kind of claim. Um, but he's really interesting. He studies uh, generosity across all different kinds of um, environments. So that's everything from tipping in a coffee shop to you know paying taxes and giving to charities uh, through kind of um, calls to action by mail or, or on TV. And he studies things like organ donation and, you know, all sorts of ways that um, we are asked to be altruistic. Um, and, you know, economists are really interested in, in getting insight into why we do that and what the mechanics are. Uh, because, you know, frankly, to an economist, uh, giving up money from your bundle of goods uh, is not doesn't fit in the rational actor uh, model of <laughs> classical economics. Uh, thankfully, uh, economics has come a long way from there, and, and they understand that people are motivated by a lot of different values, 
uh, including generosity. Well, I'm curious to learn about your perspectives on money growing up in the Kessler household. Now you've got two brothers, both in a market where they're you know, promoting generosity, researching generosity. I, yeah. But first, Ryder, what is your financial sure. philosophy, a money mantra that helps guide your financial decisions? Huh. Um, that is a great question. I don't know that I have a money mantra. Um, you know, I, if I were maybe a more chutzpahdik entrepreneur and uh, I for the Yiddish for people out there who don't know it, like, you know, if I had more entrepreneurial bluster, I'd probably say something about being reckless when you're young uh, and, you know, taking big risks. But, you know, I, I know that I can only do what I'm doing because of, you know, a lot of luck, luck that put me into a household where, you know, even if I went and started a company and totally flopped, you know, I'd still be able to uh, stay with my parents if I couldn't afford my rent anymore. And I'd still, you know, be able to put food on my table. Uh, and and so, you know, I know that a lot of my opportunity has come from uh, privilege. And, and I think that's something that, you know, maybe there isn't a mantra um, that I can pull out of air right now, but I'm going to think about it for next time. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's a lot about recognizing um, what opportunities we have and, and, you know, being really grateful for them, but also making sure that we can provide those opportunities for others. And so I think that's, that's what makes me passionate about what we're building. It's not just um, any old startup. It's a startup that really is mission driven by trying to provide similar opportunities to others uh, who work so hard every day just to make ends meet. Um, you know, the people we hear from who use our, our product are people who used to use their cash tips to pay for gas uh, in their cars and to buy groceries. And and for those people, you know, they might have a great idea for a startup, but um, the exigencies of life of just um, putting food on the table and gas in the tank uh, prevent them from pursuing them. So, you know, um, well, I'll tell my, you what the philosophy my, is. I yeah. think I just distilled sure. it. With privilege comes the opportunity to help others. That's a good mantra. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I'm gonna I'm gonna print that and put it above <laughs> my desk to remind me. Did uh, I just school a master's in science <laughs> in English literature? Oh, my goodness, it, it was a new day. See, you can. I really. I believe that we learn new things every day, and, <laughs> and that's why I'm a student, even in my late twenties. Um, you know, we're always we always have the opportunity to to get better. So I appreciate your lesson. Oh sure. Well, thank you. You're the one who shared it. Take us down memory lane, Ryder. I, I want to know now about the Ryder household, the Kessler household. Your sure. your your greatest memory of money growing up that you think kind of shaped the way that you think about the financial world today and your personal finances today. Yeah. Um, so I'll give you, if you if you allow me the opportunity, I'll give you three short uh, anecdotes or three different things that I think pre- create the constellation. Um, so one is that, you know, we heard all the time growing up about entrepreneurship because my grandfather, uh, who grew up in extreme poverty, uh, ended up starting a very successful company. And so, you know, entrepreneurship was always valorized. He had, he was one of eight children and he was the second oldest. So when he was born, the family of four would, you know, take their one piece of fruit and cut it into four slices. But then when there were eight children, they would take the same one piece of fruit and cut it into 10 slices. Um, so, you know, he went and uh, fought in World War II. 
Um, and when he came back, thanks to great social programs like the GI Bill, um, he was able to buy a house and then with his brother um, start a women's apparel company and and just work super hard at, at making a product and selling it uh, store to store, door to door, and ultimately, you know, taking that company public. Um, and we saw what hard work could do and, and how it could pay off. So that is one thing that totally kind of um, drove me to really think about entrepreneurship as a legitimate opportunity. But then, you know, I think another thing that really influenced me is my mother. Uh, her name is Randy Osofsky. She would also make a point that we were the Osofsky-Kessler household, uh, you know, that being the progressive New Yorkers we we were and are. Um, and, you know, in spite of the fact that, you know, her father is a very successful entrepreneur, she was always giving back and, you know, volunteering in the local homeless shelter by sleeping overnight there to provide meals uh, and set up the beds. And she was, you know, leading the AIDS walk team at my elementary school. So, you know, that idea that we had to provide opportunity and help to others was deep in my bones from day one. And then the third thing is that my brother and I were always just you know, entrepreneurial, I think, uh, in the way that kids sometimes are, where we would buy stuff at the craft shop and make pins to sell to our grandmother, uh, and kind of just <laughs> have crazy ideas and start businesses. And thankfully, our family really, um, really embraced and promoted that kind of, um, that entrepreneurial instinct. Uh, and, and that ended up, you know, bearing fruit later on when I could take all of those different, um, ideas and kind of strains from the background and, and tie them together into something like Dip Jar. Way to play to the emotions of grandma. <laughs> like grandparents <laughs> can't refuse their grandkids. I, I bet. Yeah, that's, uh, it goes Hopefully without saying. <laughs> just sell to their grandmothers. But actually, you know, I worked in a couple of startups and I, and you know, I remember once talking about user experience and just pushing for a real simplicity in what we were building. And, and I don't think it really came through in the end, but I, I thought to myself, you know, any company that wants to make a product that really can scale has to solve, has to make sure that their, their product passes the mom test. Like is your mom actually going to be able to see this thing in the world and know how it works and use it? Because if not, you know, it might just be something you're building for your, you know, Silicon Valley peers uh, and not really for people out in the world. So it was really important to me thinking about the preset dollar amount of the dip jar and the easy form factor and the easy experience from the customer that, you know, if my mom started a coffee shop, this is something that she would be cool with using. Uh, if she were, you know, going to... Uh, a store and saw a Salvation Army kettle on the on the counter that was, you know, a dip jar kettle. Uh, she could dip her credit card into it to give a donation. Um, and, you know, that really drives us to create something totally intuitive uh, and secure and easy to engage with. Um, and and so, you know, I, I think there's something to be said for having your, your grandmother and mother be your first customers. That's brilliant. The Salvation Army kettle. That's, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a, I didn't even think about that. That's huge. That would that would be I, huge. I think there's a lot of opportunity. You know, when I tell the dip jar story, it's sometimes um, I think people have the tendency to think, oh yeah, this is a solution for um, for a coffee shop. This is a coffee shop product. But I think once people start seeing the world through dip jar lenses, and I invite you and all your listeners to do that, um, they will start to notice that there are myriad times in everyday life when 
we can't be as generous as we want to be because we don't have cash. And so, you know, the, the Santa with the Salvation Army kettle is a great example. Um, but so is, you know, that tip for your barber or stylist after your haircut and, you know, leaving money in the hotel room for the housekeeper when you check out uh, and, you know, seeing any collection box, maybe it's on a McDonald's counter, um, maybe it's, you know, at the local library or the museum. There are just a tremendous number of places, millions of places, certainly in the U.S., where we want to be generous, uh, but just don't have the tools to do so if we don't happen to have a spare single or $5 bill in our pocket. I asked this of all my guests because I think it could be really revealing and also, uh, well, we can learn so much about failure. So what is your biggest financial failure in your, you know, you're only in your late 20s, so it's maybe you don't have a lot to choose from, which is hopefully a good thing. Your biggest financial failure. Um, I, you know, I have been very lucky that I have been able to kind of follow my, my dreams at every point. Um, and, and so been, been cushioned by failure, I guess, you know, I worked for two startups before starting dip jar and, and one of them is still around. The other isn't, but you know, I was young and I worked a lot for, for options and equity and, and that money, you know, that, that, um, that, labor is not going to translate into financial gain. I didn't really make money from those jobs. Um, and I guess you could say that that's a failure because I, you know, put sweat equity into something that isn't going to pay back. But I, I don't really think of it as failure. I think of it really as as an opportunity for learning. Um, because, you know, without those experiences, I wouldn't have been able to uh, start my own company, which, you know, hopefully will be a story with a happier ending. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember my college graduation, uh, our commencement speaker was J.K. Rowling. And, wow. you know, if anyone hasn't seen her speech, uh, just Google J.K. Rowling, Harvard, 2008. What a phenomenal speech. And it was all about uh, all of the failures that uh, she had endured before she um, wrote the Harry Potter books and how, you know, that what could be called failure was actually the foundation on which she was able to build something great. And I really internalized that. Um, back when I was, you know, 22 years old. Uh, and it, and it really has stuck with me that, you know, um, failure is just, uh, another name for lessons learned. So, um, (laughs) that's how I think of it. Failure is another name for lessons learned. Well, let's change the, the, let's, let's sort of change, uh, gears here, switch gears and talk about success. So money, so money moment, Ryder, like, you you climbed that financial mountain. You just you know you high fived it at that moment. <laughs> uh, high fiving the, the financial moment. So I, I think I already mentioned it. My proudest moment um, as an entrepreneur uh, was really just one moment um, as part of my dip jar experience when I walked into a coffee shop that had had dip jar for a few months and had a barista there. Uh, say that her last payment from Dipjar, so that's two weeks of tips through the Dipjar, had covered her electric bill that month. Like that was so money um, because I was like, oh, this thing I'm building actually is helping people in a really salient way. And this really cool, you know, young woman who's working at the coffee shop and just trying to, you know, 
do live her life. And, you know, I don't, I don't really know what her broader aspirations are. I don't know if she's, you know, trying to be an artist or just loves working in a coffee shop or, you know, uh, wants to be a volunteer or become a nurse. I, I don't really know, but all I know is that she's working in this coffee shop and she's, you know, trying to pay her rent and she's trying to cover her electric bill. And, and I saw that our product was helping her do that. Um, and that was just like totally edifying for me. Uh, and really, really energizing. And, and, you know, if there were ever moments and there were where I thought, why am I doing this? If I just, you know, I could just read 19th century novels in the library and, you know, I'd be sweating a lot less and I'd be going to sleep earlier. Um, but moments like that made me realize like, no, what we're building actually has to exist. And so I'm not going to stop until, you know, there are millions of people like that one barista, Jess, um, who, who are benefiting from, from the dip jar technology. How about a financial habit writer? Something that you do habitually, consciously, doesn't have to be every day, but it is a part of your approach to staying financially healthy. Um, staying, yeah, things that I do to stay financially healthy. Um, I, I don't think I'm a good role model for financial health. Uh, I, you know, to speak very frankly, uh, you know, I think I probably spend too much money given the, the fact that I'm, you know, by far the lowest paid person at my company. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I still go to coffee shops every day. I probably spend $10 a day on, on coffee. Uh, just this morning I spent $7, uh, on a brioche and a coffee on my way to work as I do every day. Um, and that is not, you know, strictly responsible financial habit um, formation. As well, I mean, you're not in debt. So-, so I'm not in debt and I'm very lucky about that. But, you know, I do, I just do, within reason, I spend money on things that uh, make my quality of life such that I'm, I can, you know, be happy and continually be motivated. And that includes, you know, a fancy dinner out or a movie or maybe a Broadway show uh, that, you know, Susie Orman might say, you cannot afford this. Um, but, you know, oh, whatever. I, don't worry I about do Susie Orman. So <laughs> I do. I do love. Don't Susie, let her rain on your I brioche do. parade. Okay. <laughs> I, I will not. And it's because, you know, it's because I think um, about consumption smoothing, like God willing, this company will be successful. If not, you know, I'll have other opportunities for success down the line. And so, you know, I might be living a little bit beyond my means now, but um, I will hopefully be able to make that up later. And certainly I can be very thankful that, you know, if, if nothing else, I'll still have a safety net in, from my family. Um, so I guess I would say that, you know, a little bit of risk taking financially when you can afford to do so is is great. But I totally understand that that opportunity to take risk is not available to many or even most people. Um, but in terms of my financial habits, they're all bad. They're all the $7 pre-ocean <laughs> coffee in the morning and the you know astronomical amount I pay for my gym membership every month, even though I don't think I've seen the inside of that gym uh, since, you know, Democrats controlled the Senate. So, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a lot of habits that aren't great. Um, but they're hopefully, you know, good in a roundabout way and that they enable me to continue to pursue this passion, uh, and continue to be, uh, a motivated entrepreneur. I like that. I'm going to file that under hashtag human. Because we all have that gym membership that we're not using it, but none of, but, but right? you're, you're the first to actually admit it. So thank you. Well, 
Uh, it's my pleasure. All right, Ryder, almost wrapped here. We're going to do some so money fill in the blanks. Um, okay. Where I, I start off a sentence and you finish it. First thing that comes to mind. If I won okay. the lottery tomorrow, let's say $100 million, the first thing I would do is? The first thing... I would do is put a good chunk of that money into Dipchar, frankly. Uh, I think, you know, Dipchar is my baby and, and I want to give it everything. I want to be that coddling parent that can provide it every opportunity. So I put a good chunk of money into Dipchar uh, and then I would probably take a little vacation. Yeah, where would you go? Oh, gosh. Uh, top of my list right now is Amsterdam. A, a good friend just came back from there and said it was, you know, the most beautiful place she'd been. She loves it. And uh, I've never been there. So that's the place that, you know, once we close our next round of financing, even if it isn't financed by the lottery, um, I will probably be taking a little vacation. Good for you. Amsterdam is beautiful. Everyone's Great. on a bicycle. It's, uh, it's, it's, yeah, go there, run. And I know they have coffee, so. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They have a lot of other good things there, too. <laughs> the one thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is? The one thing I spend on? Yeah, that makes your life easier or better. Um, food. I mean, I just, I'm a reckless, but I am a classic New York stereotype. If you looked in my oven, uh, you would see, you know, stacks of magazines that I don't have room to store elsewhere. Uh, I think that's not really true. I think that's a reference to Sex in the City where Carrie stores <laughs> Vogue's in her oven. Um, but yeah, if you, uh, this is true. If you open my refrigerator, you'll see nothing but bottled water and beer. Uh, and I don't even drink beer. Beer is just to give to guests when they come over. But I eat out and order in every night. Um, and that is just, you know, my parents are wonderful people. But we I grew up in New York City. No one was ever cooking meals. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so I never learned that, like, going to the grocery store and buying ingredients and then, you know, making a meal for myself. Um, but. It really keeps me happy that I can, you know, order in every night. And, and I do save a lot of time when other people are going to the grocery store. I can be working. So that's how you justify it. Yes, it's time saved. Um, exactly. And it's just, you're right. I live in New York. It's so easy to order what you want when you want it delivered to your door. You don't have to worry about, like, cash. It's just all automated. Um, it's right. too easy. So would you say that's your your biggest guilty pleasure? Because that's my next question. My biggest guilty pleasure that I spend a lot of money on is. Yeah, that would definitely be that guilty pleasure. Although, you know, I don't really feel that guilty about it. Yeah. I, I, I know myself. And um, even if I did buy ingredients at the grocery store, I wouldn't know what to do with them. Uh, and, you know, at least ordering from Seamless or, or ordering uh, from a local restaurant or going out to one gives me the opportunity to tip uh, and leave a big tip. And, you know, that is something that I love to do. Uh, and it's something that, you know, my my business uh, thrives on. So, you know, interacting with tip earners also helps me as an entrepreneur because I can talk to them and hear their concerns and hear kind of what they're looking for uh, out of a solution like ours. So, you know, I can also justify it um, in that it helps mm -hmm. me be a better business person because it keeps me close to my customer. Yes. But really, it's just that I'm too lazy to learn how to cook. Yeah. And Thai food can be in your house and, you know, in 20 minutes oh, flat or yeah. you can just walk outside. And, you is so delicious mm -hmm. in New York. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, it's almost lunchtime here in New York, so you have me thinking. (laughs) When I donate money, I like to give to blank because, speaking of generosity all this time. Yeah. um, I really, I love to give to a tremendous variety of causes. And, you know, often they are uh, political causes and sometimes they're just general humanitarian things like uh, uh, there's a great charity called Mazon, which is, um, it's a Jewish charity, but it addresses hunger issues amongst all communities. I also love to give back to the schools. I went to uh, Harvard and uh, my high school here in New York, Hunter College High School, which is such a tremendously uh, amazing place uh, that I think people don't know enough how wonderful it is, although Cynthia Nixon went there, so uh, they might know it that way. Um, But yeah, because, you know, all of those things whether they're organizations that helped, you know, make me who I am or they're things that are serving the needs of, of people who don't have the same opportunities um, or they're, you know, supporting causes that I think will remake the political landscape uh, in a way that will, you know, better support the kind of opportunity creation I'm interested in. Uh, there's a lot of different angles to come at that. Um, and, you know, I wish I could give more, but, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's a problem when you're, trying to build a company and, and, you know, still afford to live in New York. Um, I, I look forward to the day that, you know, maybe it won't be winning the lottery, but maybe it'll be just building something that gives me a little more resources to give back to the community in a, in a more broad way. And I'm Ryder Kessler. I'm so money because. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm so money uh, I'd say because um, I'm doing something I have no business to be doing. Uh, you know, when when I pitch my product and I talk about the fact that we build hardware and we're in the payment space, they say, you know, pe- people will say, and and who are you? And and you're what? You're someone who has a master's degree and in you 19th are... century British novels. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, I. I'm I'm so money. That's why I can do it because this is something I'm passionate about, and and things that I didn't know how to do, I've learned how to do, or I found people smarter than me who know how to do them better. Um, and you know, I think I, I think that's just the key to to being an entrepreneur, and and maybe it's a key to more things in life. Although I don't have the business to say so, uh, but you know, don't don't let your lack of of um, experience. Uh, prevent you from doing something because the only way to get the experience is to just dive in. Wonderful. And thank you for diving into this interview, Ryder. Really appreciate that you really brought it. Uh, congratulations <laughs> and good luck. Best wishes, con- wishing you continued success with Dip Jar and Ever After. Come back. Thank you so much. We'd love to have you back. I would love to. Okay. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks so much, Ryder. Thanks so much to my guest, Ryder Kessler, for joining me on So Money today. To learn more about Ryder and his business idea, head over to dipjar.com. And if you go to somoneypodcast.com, there you can get all of the information from this show, the transcripts, the comments. You can download the episode. And there also you can ask me a question. Click on Ask Farnoosh and ask away. Every Saturday and Sunday, I dedicate the show to you, responding to your questions and comments that have been filtering in during the week. And if you'd like a one-on-one session with me, just you and me for 15 minutes talking about whatever's on your money mind, one way to qualify is to go over to iTunes and leave a review for this show. I try to encourage reviews because as I've been saying over and over and over and over again, 
Reviews matter. Reviews count on iTunes, at least. And uh, the more support I have from listeners through the through through reviews, uh, the better it is for the show in terms of positioning and all that good stuff. So uh, to encourage that, I would love to see your review on iTunes, and I will pick one new reviewer every Saturday to pick to receive a free 15 minute money session with me. So thanks in advance if you're going to go and do that. And uh, thanks again for tuning in. Hope your day is so money.